listening to the Voice of Insurance podcast, produced in association with Advantage Go, enabling enterprise-scale underwriting through a single pane of glass. Today's guest runs a business that has been a cornerstone of the Lloyds market for a generation and has a pedigree that stretches a long way further back than that. Alistair Wood is the CEO of Hamden Capital and also Hamden Agencies, the largest of the Lloyds members' agents, with over £2 billion in funds under management. Because Hamden is a dedicated investor into Lloyds, there's no one better to talk to if you're trying to understand the best opportunities and the most pressing threats affecting the 300-plus-year-old marketplace today. This is a really enjoyable conversation, not just because Alistair is one of the Lloyds market's best analysts, whose insights are highly valuable, but more because of the progressive and dynamic nature of the business he is running. A Lloyds members agent is an incredibly traditional business in many ways, but that doesn't mean Hamden standing still. Hamden has long been a sought-after advisor to corporate as well as private capital, and its efforts to help build and promote entirely new routes for investors into the Lloyds market are highly innovative and encouraging. In the past, Lloyds has sometimes been perceived as slow to react to new forms of capital, but now that couldn't be further from the truth. With listed vehicles, cells in London Bridge 2, syndicates in boxes, follow syndicate capacity or innumerable other structures. Wherever there's an opportunity, it seems that Hamden and the wider Lloyds ecosystem is seeking to make the most of it. Alice is also a great guest, intelligent and completely on top of his brief, but unfailingly polite and good-humoured and completely transparent and direct with his answers. He's a great blend of all the virtues of the traditional Lloyds market with something a little bit more contemporary. Listen on for valuable tips and nuances and a strong idea of where the market's heading. From our encounter, Lloyds and the wider wholesale specialty and reinsurance markets seem to be in rude good health. Enjoy the podcast. Alistair, welcome to The Voice of Insurance. Thank you very much for having me. You might be new to some members of our audience. You're relatively new in your post as well. So why don't you introduce yourself? Okay, well, I've been in the Lloyds market for nearly 30 years. All that time until February this year, looking at syndicates as a syndicate analyst. So I started in 94, quite a curious time to start in Lloyd's. That's quite interesting, yeah, um, yes. R&R hadn't happened. And that's reconstruction and renewal for anyone who doesn't know that. Yes. And so going into a Lloyd's members agency, which is what I joined, where members were rightly concerned about life and what was happening, did Hamden exist then? Hamden did not exist then. So that was in a, an offshoot of the Brockbank right. group. Christie Brockbank Shipton at the time had just been formed. And I was there until 2006. And Hamden then bought the CBS members agency in 06. And I became the head of research here at Hamden throughout that period until February this year. So that's looking at syndicates, building portfolios, all of that side of what we do here. Did you always work in insurance? No one ever sort of admits to having wanted to go into insurance. We all pretend that we just fell into it. Did that happen to you? Well, of course. So I started at Citibank very briefly in a unit trust department. Equity analysts? Or- no, no, no. Literally, you know, moving pieces of paper around. And I felt that that was not where I wanted to go. I'd done a rather curious degree that doesn't uh, exist anymore called insurance and investment oh, goodness. at City University here in London. And I thought that I was going to go on the investment side, not the insurance side. Right. Okay. So much more sort of pension fund, that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. But as it, as it was, I came into insurance and here we are. Why don't you tell us all about Hamden 
for anyone who doesn't know about it, because it's, it's an interesting and quite diversified business. And certainly tell us about the bits that you run. Yes, yeah, so the bits that I run is called Hamden Capital, which is the Lloyd's side of Hamden. And there are other bits of Hamden to do with runoff and, and other things. Essentially, we're a specialist asset manager focusing on Lloyd's. The main part of being a thing called a members agency. So that's a company which advises private clients, family offices, corporate investors on providing capital into the Lloyd's market. So that's called Hamden Agencies. That's the main regulated part. We then have, alongside that, built out other ways of coming into Lloyd's. So we've set up a fund business called Hamden Insurance Partners. So we have institutional capital that comes through there. And then there is a service business called Nomina, which effectively runs all the vehicles. So we have about a thousand private clients here and running all those vehicles. And then there is a syndicate, Hamden Risk Partners, and that's run by a company called HSSL. So that's also part of our group, Syndicate 2689. And then we've got a little protected cell company in Guernsey that provides reinsurance products, stop loss and things like that, or arranges those. And that's two two members, yeah. Yeah. So we've got assets under management about £2.2 billion. We are the largest provider of third-party capital into Lloyd's. I think we're about 5% of Lloyd's capital. The market's pretty good at the moment. To the extent that I'm reading in different sections of the insurance press, the headlines talking about gold rush, that kind of thing. It sounds probably as a bit too much journalistic license being <laughs> used there. But yes, the market is good. I've just come back from Monte Carlo. It doesn't look like the markets can start softening in yep. any general terms anytime soon. And it's a good time for Lloyd's. The last market message I've had with Patrick Tin, and I had Patrick Tin on the show that I did down at Monte Carlo. It's a good market. Would you say it's golden times for all your investors? Um, I hate that gold rush and all that sort of thing. It is a great time to be coming into Lloyd's. So market conditions are really good. Syndicates are growing for all the right reasons, rating opportunity. And that is therefore giving investors an opportunity not only to make better profits, but also to access some of the best businesses in the market. And I think that combination of access and return is proving a powerful one and something that is bringing investors in and putting things to the fore. I would say gold rush sort of implies that all you need to do is turn up and suddenly, you know, you can make money. (laughs) And I think there are, even in times like this of rating, there are so many different things that we need to be careful of, whether that's social inflation, climate change, the uh, wars and all the sort of events that are occurring. We still think that you can't just come in blindly and hope that the rising tide will float all boats. You have to still select the right people, have a balanced portfolio. Yeah. So our approach has always been to create balanced portfolios of syndicates, normally 10 to 15 syndicates in a portfolio spreading across different classes of business and looking to rebalance and reweight once a year with whatever we see happening in the market. I suppose within that diversification, you could be slightly more... Overweight on something one year, so you presumably have the intention of trying to outperform the market. That's right. So in any one year, in a sense, the syndicates are doing that in the first thing. So they are making changes to their portfolios at syndicate level. And what we're then doing is almost then an overlay in terms of we particularly like property business or reinsurance business. So we're going to swing our portfolio a little bit more towards certain classes at at any one time. So what's your thinking at the moment in terms of where are you happiest and happiest to be slightly overweight? Yeah, property. We have been for a bit, 
in the last few years property insurance and there seems to be no sign that that is slowing down and i think what's happening in reinsurance which is we have been quite cautious about for a bit but Certainly, it seems that Lloyds has got headroom to grow there. And that the vibe, certainly from the last meeting with Patrick Tin and his message to the market was that there's probably a bit of headroom there and that there's space to do so, presumably at the right terms. Yeah, I think there is space. But I mean, it's an interesting one where we've still, even in this market, seen people withdrawing from reinsurance because the balance of their accounts haven't worked. The cost of retro, have they got enough spread? So even though the rates are up, it still isn't an easy product. And investors, I would say globally, are still pretty wary for obvious reasons about reinsurance, given the difficult time that it's had recently. So yes, I think there is room for the whole market to grow on a sort of risk appetite basis, but we haven't seen material growth in reinsurance within business plans for 2024. It's pockets without being across the board. Sorry to interrupt the podcast. I'm here to tell you that Aventum Group is a debt-free, owner-managed specialty insurance group headquartered in London. Through our MGA platform Rockstone and broking platform Concilium, the group controls circa $1.5 billion in gross-ridden premiums across 16 global offices. The group is employee-owned, has no private equity backing, and is very much in control of its own destiny. Synergy is Eventum's partnership model, a platform for entrepreneurial brokers and underwriters to become shareholders in their own subsidiary, a platform that liberates trading teams from bureaucracy and admin and allows them to focus on developing and servicing clients. We believe the traditional employee-employer hierarchy is outdated, which is why our Synergy model is built upon trust and partnership and why all our synergy arrangements involve real equity ownership from day one. Very different to the management incentive plans or MIPS that are now so common in our market. We are not a corporate organization and instead pride ourselves on the entrepreneurialism of our team and ability to have fun along the way. Our view is if you want to build something to call your own, have the lead on how you do it and create some meaningful value along the way, a synergy partnership will give you an unrivaled route forward. For more information, please contact us at voi at eventumgroup.com today. Because of the capital implications for that are too Capital implications, painful. you know, how does the balance of risk work? Is it better to have insurance risk rather than reinsurance, given the protection that's potentially available from reinsurers compared to retro? And then I suppose the restrictions that Lloyd's puts on the amount of CAT that people can take, given how well have they'd underwritten it previously, and therefore uh, it's the access in a very soft market. You say, well, I sort of have to write retro because it's the only way I can get any of this business. But in a harder market, why would I bother writing retro? Because I can actually be in the direct reinsurance market and actually access that business more closely. And presumably now you can write the insurance of that business rather than have it pass through many different hands before it gets to you. Yes, there is still a huge amount of flux on the insurance side. Look what's going on in California and Florida, where companies are still reducing what they're doing. And so the flow of business is into Lloyd's from that side is good. And the ability to protect is still there. I think there's also, you know, in the back of our minds is that reinsurance is still a pretty commoditized product. You know, there will become a point when pricing turns down and the price is still such an important factor. So it's, it's, it's capital. It's capital. And once upon a time, the ability to pay claims was a, something that was people were concerned about, but now people have collateralized capital. So it still seems to be price. So happiest with property. The flip side to this is people seem to be 
rediscovering an uneasiness about casualty, which was probably the biggest takeaway for me coming back from Monte Carlo. People are worrying about US casualty, which is obviously something we as an industry have been periodically worried about, and absolutely rightly so, because it's given us a problem once every 15 to 20 years. Yeah. I would say the casualty market clearly was very soft in the teens, and we're seeing the impact of that. Well, we saw that come through, and actually rates went up 2018, 19, 20. Absolutely. It seems to me extraordinary that if somebody's going to tell me, well, we've reached peak casualty rates already, yet you know we haven't really made sustainable money. And as was too early to say, maybe things are all better from 2020 onwards, but all we know is relatively they're better yes. than they would have been in 2015. Yeah. But 2015 was terrible, so... <laughs> yes. I would say that the product is better underwritten still. You know, the claims made wordings and things like that. We haven't got those long tails that were once upon a time. So it doesn't feel like that kind of an issue. But we've been cautious in casualty for a while. I think that there are still some extremely good casualty underwriters in Lloyd's that we're prepared to back and they reserve well. And we will continue with them. Maybe we will see a reacceleration of casualty rates in the future as the reserving cycle seems to be biting people still as the courts in the US get back up to speed and, and process these claims. So it feels that casualty could be almost the, the next role of the cycle that we could start to see that being hardening again. And actually, this is a plateauing time. It feels that you know, to cut rates now seems It certainly feels premature. that um, uh, yes, any big casualty insurer looking to get a higher seeding commission because everything's so great is not going to be met with a very, very receptive reinsurance market, for example, because right. well, you know, I was in that market, but don't forget we're still paying for 2015 to 2019 or 2014 to 2018, depending yeah. sort of where you start measuring it. It hasn't necessarily put me in a very good mood. So um, yeah. I'm not really in the mood for hearing all this great news that is still actually only half-baked at the moment. I agree. So we'll remain cautious for a bit, but we are seeing syndicates reducing what they're underwriting, for example, in DNA, which has been talked about a lot. In quite undiplomatic terms, uncharacteristically undiplomatic yes, terms. Yes, yeah, which I think probably upset a few people. But the syndicates are reducing what they're doing anyway, or the majority are. And so that was a strong signal to the market. Was so they're just penciling a 20% rate decrease, or are they actually doing less? No, they are doing less, less. policy count. They're doing less. They're definitely doing less, yeah. Having just come back from Monte Carlo, there isn't necessarily a huge amount of new reinsurance capacity it's probably about enough to keep up with demand, more or less, that the market should clear. But certainly, it's not going to be cheap reinsurance or reinsurance attaching any lower than where it is. It resets and it's reset high, and it's going to stay there as far as I can see. Yeah. Is that any kind of constraint on growth? Certainly, when I was talking to some of the Lloyd's people who are big buyers of reinsurance as well as occasional sellers of reinsurance, they're probably a net bigger buyer than, than they are sellers. Their main concern was to secure the supply of reinsurance. Yeah to support their growth. Do you think there's any kind of constraint? Because we do rely on reinsurance within the Lloyds. Yeah, no, they're definitely heavy reliance on reinsurance. I think in a way there has to be, because if you can't buy the cover, you're going to get a capital impact. And so the balance of where would you, where you, do get you the want capital to pay? One way, either from the reinsurer or Quite, from, from, from um, actual capital. Interesting that we've seen the gross premiums, I think, for 24 in our portfolio expected to go up by about 11%, but the net by 17 So people are buying less cover. And Do you think they're buying less because there's less to buy at favourable terms? And also because obviously they're happy to retain more because it's such a good business? It'll be a combination. So they're not buying the bottom end of programmes. 
Which I suppose is the expensive Which is expensive. End. Yeah. So that means there's a bit more risk in the portfolio in those areas. But I'm not getting a sense that they would like to turn that 11 into 20, but they can't because of a lack of reinsurance. I don't feel that that is the case. I do think that in the market, we've lost some of our you know leaders. If you think of the names in the past that used to lead reinsurance business that maybe don't write it at all or have really restricted what they Absolutely, do. Absolutely, yeah. And others have come in. So there's big, big growth syndicates like Ariel and then Inigo starting up, which is in a sense replacing some of that. But generally, I think that the Lloyd's reinsurance leads are smaller and you know whether that will have a longer term impact. You're an absolute specialist of finding new and interesting ways of getting capital to work in the Lloyd's market. And I was reading about a Project Leo initiative for a London listed fund to support underwriting at Lloyd's. What can you say about it? What I can say about it is that you know, we've been out to the UK institutions to test, is this something that is of interest to them? And we're in the middle of that process at the moment. So we can't really sort of go into it in a too much detail. But, but they haven't slammed the door in your face, should we say? No. And there, you mean, know, there would have been times in the past that they might have done. And of course, UK institutions have been here before, after reconstruction renewal. There were back in the early days of me being a reinsurance and insurance journalist, we had 15 to 20 different Lloyd's vehicles that all London quoted vehicles too. The right. results season was quite a busy time and lots of small businesses, they've nearly all gone now. Yes. We're, we're down to Beasley, Hiscox and, and Lancashire these days. And I think the UK institutions are rightly cautious about the insurance industry, given generally hasn't been great for them. So that is a challenge. And put that together with the UK stock market being a pretty tough place to launch new things at the moment. So there are headwinds certainly for that, but there is a, definitely a recognition that this is a great time of the cycle. And Lloyd's, I think, has restored its brand name to where it was and you know is recognised as being a good place to access specialty insurance business. So all of that is resonating. Or could you go to New York like everybody else's? Well, you could go to New York. Well, if you get a better valuation, you get more liquid, deep pools of capital there, why not go there? I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I think we will probably look at all of those things. But I, I think that it feels that there is space for that kind of product, that kind of entry into Lloyd's. Well, good luck with that. It sounds like it's the sort of market where that capital could be put to good use quite quickly. Yeah. And a relatively new channel down which capital can be bought and find its way into the Lloyd's market is this London Bridge 2 vehicle. It's partly my job to understand how these things work, but I'm, I must say if I was marking my own homework on this, I'd say I don't necessarily understand it as well. And so I'm thinking if I don't necessarily understand it as well, and it's actually my job to understand it, then perhaps not all the listeners will understand it as well as they ought to. Can you explain how it works? <laughs> yeah. Because this is something you're using quite regularly or you're planning to on using. Yeah, so we have been involved in a number of them that have happened to date. To date, they've been mainly about bringing one source of capital behind one syndicate. Effectively, what London Bridge does is use the UK protected cell legislation that came in. Yeah. And of course, that was really brought in with ILS in mind more yeah. than anything else, allow London to compete with Bermuda and other That's places. Right. That's right. And that's essentially what it is doing is enabling an investor to put their money into a cell for which they receive a security. And then that seller then writes a reinsurance contract of a Lloyd's corporate member. So something that's a capital divider behind. It tends to be a, a proportional treaty. Yes, absolutely. So the change with London Bridge 2 is that you can do excess of loss 
Right. So that's an innovation. And it can be either a corporate member, which is owned by an orphan trust, which somehow you're not quite controlling, but is within your net, or it could be owned by somebody completely different. And so it enables you to provide capital in a form of a reinsurance contract in a tax efficient way. And that's the key thing. Right. To a number of different entities in Lloyds without them necessarily needing to give up capacity on their syndicates. They can retain full ownership of their business, but yet they can access third-party capital through this structure. Because you think, well, of course, you could always do this via a corporate member, you could do other things, but there are just different legalities and different tax equations. So definitely the tax equation, and then the documentation has all been pre-approved, so there's an easing of that process. So you don't have to get a whole load of new lawyers every time. That's right. There are still frictional costs, but we hope they'll come down over time. It's not in the millions, it's in the thousands. No, that's right. Yeah. And what it then does is enable you to provide capital to any syndicate in the market. So it expands that pool of investable capital through a reinsurance product. And therefore, for us, effectively enables us to say, well, we can provide capital to a syndicate in multiple different forms, whichever is most efficient for them. So I think it's a good innovation. It is only, however, for corporate entities. I remember I was chairing a, a group of names. Obviously, they've got various sort of societies and clubs that they, yeah. that they subscribe to, and sometimes they ask me to come chat to them. When this was first came out sort of two or three years ago, the question was, yeah, do you think it could be something for high net worth individuals to access? But the answer is probably no, isn't it? Well, at the moment, the legislation says it's only for corporates. But I think that that will come in time. I would like to think that either we can try and lobby for that to be changed or structures will be created in order for that to happen. But at the moment, it isn't possible. Something I'd like to ask you about, because obviously we've had reconstruction and renewal, we had the advent of corporate capital, and obviously names had a difficult time, but names have been incredibly resilient and have done very well over the last 15 to 20 years. But as a relative proportion of the Lloyds market, Obviously, it's grown, but it's grown probably in line with the market or maybe relatively declined. But at the same time, of course, over the last 20 years, I don't know how many you pick up the newspaper and say, well, how many new millionaires were created in China today? Thousands every week. And so there have been more high net worth people created over the last 20 years. But why hasn't that necessarily correlated? And obviously, they'll invest in all sorts of things. And this should be part of any high net worth person's, I would say, part of their high risk, high reward proportion of their investments. And they have lots of very nice, boring, safe investments as well. And this would be in the sort of along with the hedge fund and a few other things, maybe a bit of art and wine or whatever else they're diversifying into and classic cars and goodness knows what else. It ought to be there, I would say. But why do you think it hasn't necessarily taken off in the way that it might do? Because we've got a fantastic pool of high net worth capital in the world and there's more of it. Yep. Why aren't they beating down the door? Uh, you know, why aren't you managing 10 billion, not three? Yeah, well, I agree. I think there's a number of reasons for that. And we are not blameless, certainly, for that. But I think there is definitely, for example, in the UK, there has been for quite a long time still a big legacy issue with private clients and with their advisors about what happened before. People have got long memories. People have long memories, definitely. We have definitely seen that wane over the last 10 years. But still, quite often, that will be the only thing that somebody will know about Lloyd's. And therefore, the challenge for us is to explain how things have changed and how much better organized and regulated and managed and et cetera the market is now. So that's a part of it, I think, from our side and from 
companies like ours, have we done a good enough job? Probably not. We have tended to focus on the UK. But is that the, partly a historical thing as well? Because, well, that's you partly know, a historic thing. But I think the other factor is that we do look at where are all the millionaires and the vast majority are in the US and we cannot still market to private clients in the US. That was a part of the reconstruction and renewal agreement. And therefore, that is something that we would like to maybe move on a little bit in the future. But that is the factor that they can come through corporate entities, but actually directly is, is much so more difficult. Do you think that they're there, therefore, that they just happen to be investing in corporate vehicles and different, you know, obviously you can buy the stocks and shares of Hiscox and Beasley in Lancashire yeah. anytime they want. Are they doing it more likely through more indirect routes rather than I becoming... Think probably doing it indirectly without knowing so. Yes. So they'll be backing private equity funds or hedge funds, which have Lloyd's involvements and using those sorts of structures, but they aren't coming in thinking, I'm coming into Lloyd's. So that is something that we will and are looking to change. It's a huge opportunity, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. I mean, I think that's where Hamden is looking at all of these sort of areas and thinking, okay, how can we deliver a better product for people? And I think that's what we haven't done well enough over the last few years. You know, the, the product, in a sense, Lloyd's membership has remained very similar over a number of years. And I think we need to be innovating more about how do we deliver the same sorts of returns and uh, give that access, which is easier and cleaner for individuals. When I talk to some of those individuals over the years, they, they might complain that they haven't had the opportunities that they would have had, obviously, back in the old days, when, of course, they were the only show in town. Do you think they're getting a better showing now? Now, with things like Syndicate in the Box, those new opportunities that are available to them, obviously, they don't get the tenure anymore, but you have tenancy. Yeah. Did they're getting that opportunity because it almost felt that as if at some point they would die out. Perhaps if we were talking this time 10 years ago, to say this is a dying breed and it seems unloved and it's not necessarily everyone's first port of call. And it's just an interesting historical anomaly that will eventually just wrinkle itself out. But it's yeah. certainly not I'm been the case. That's not that been that the case. That no. is not been the case. So, for example, we have had, interestingly, that our greatest pool of new private clients have been from people in the financial services industry maybe private equity hedge funds or investment bankers or whatever, who have a certain attitude towards risk. They're looking certainly for the estate planning and those sorts of benefits, which you get in the UK, and also the lack of correlation. They've got so many assets and doing all sorts of other things. This is different. So this is something that really does work for private individuals. We just got to get that, the message you, out. Couldn't you get, is it small business exemption on those um, so You get business property relief because yeah. it's a trading vehicle. Yeah. So, you know, it is quite powerful. But in terms of the showing of syndicates, our pool of capital is actually very sticky. Hamden has a reasonable they're size. They're not trading and in and out, are they? They're no? not trading in and out. We can collectively provide a meaningful amount of capital to them. And it does something different to other pools of capital they may get. It isn't trade capital. It's not reinsurance capital that is effectively in some ways competing often with their business. We only invest in Lloyd's. So although our clients can go do something else, Hamden is only going to be focused on Lloyd's. And I think providing that longevity and diversity in their capital base is attractive to managing agents. What that also enables us to do because we are backing a pool of different syndicates, is that we can take on a small, unusual syndicate in a box type syndicate 
and add it as a small part of a portfolio, and it is capital efficient to do so. So it works. It's good diversification. It's good diversification. So we're, in a sense, able to help these smaller businesses to grow and provide almost seeding underwriting capital to them. So we backed. Of course, because these are small businesses. These are small businesses, and on their own, they might look too specialist and you know, difficult to back up if you were just backing that as your only entry into lawyers, but actually as part of a balanced portfolio where we're doing lots of other things, we can very easily accommodate them. So for example, the MCI syndicate 1902. And this is microinsurance? No, that, oh, no that's sorry, the I'm clinical kidding. trials insurance. Oh, clinical trials. An area really, really specialist, great track record. We could uh, syndicate in a box so that it was able, using that structure, we're able to back that from the start and build that into a portfolio. So I think we provide that advantage for the market, which you may not get elsewhere. You've got a slightly different risk appetite. Yeah. And so do you think you're seeing enough opportunities that, that you think there's enough opportunities within the Lloyd's market to keep it sustainable? Obviously, you know, we, we were saying, well, who's going to be the Hiscox of the future? Or who's well, I, going I think to be that's, the, of the future? Yeah, I mean, I think that is a challenge in the sense that, yes, there are a number of these smaller specialist type syndicates coming through, but... It is seemingly really hard to set up a balanced property casualty syndicate that's going to be, you know, there'll well, be. Something a, like Inigo has been shown you can do it pretty quickly. Uh, Inigo has, but there haven't been many of those. And they are not backed by private capital. We would like to see more of those, I think, coming through people spinning out or bigger syndicates and not spinning out just to compete with their previous shop, but they're going to build a big balanced syndicate that will last for a long time. Over this last 20 years, we've had this fantastic flowering of the MGA world. Obviously, and that seems to be, if you're a young, talented underwriter, 30 years previous, you'd have said, I would try and get a syndicate together at Lloyd's with a few friends and business associates and the top broker might help me out on this. And yeah. I'll go around all the members' agents and I'll scrabble something together and we'll have effectively what the old version of the syndicate in the box, which is a very small syndicate. Yeah. But these days, it would be, you know, I'm, I'm going to start my own MGA. In fact, there's a whole infrastructure out there. There are so many people who will incubate my MGA and they might be able to float off somewhere else. And there are many players out there. Do you feel that one day you, you can't beat these people, you might have to join them? I start something that helps incubate MGAs because that's where all the underwriting talent is going. That might be where you have to go yourself. I think definitely that is a threat. Certainly other Lloyd's businesses of a similar ilk have actually done that. Yes. And they've seen that that's a successful part of their business. Yes. I mean, it's something that we've looked at. I would say our concern will always be, you know, is that an area, it's something that we actually have the expertise in, you know, our expertise. Especially if you providing capital to good underwriters yep. is a core competency of yours. Yeah. And so you know, it is definitely there as a potential part of how we could change our business. But I would say... Underwriting risk and underwriting is really where our clients, that's where their capital is set up to do. For them to then start incubating businesses is, is a totally different part of well, I suppose uh, you, there are syndicates at Lloyd's, of course, that will back that are delegated. Yeah, syndicates. and there are syndicates that are set up like the Beat Syndicate to incubate MGAs and do it that way. So there are other ways of accessing that business. But I think generally we haven't been good enough as a market of converting good quality MGAs into syndicates. And tell us a bit about the syndicate, which is, as I understand, a follow-only type syndicate, of yep. which we've now got a, a cohort, and they seem to be doing pretty well. There was some news story the other day about the Brits follow-only syndicate that's now getting some followers of its own, some quote-share support from, I think, from Aspen and from Travellers. Yeah. 
What's behind that? And what do you think is the ultimate potential? You know, what sort of percentage of the Lloyd's market might just be follow only at some point in the future? I think it's a significant potential for growth in the sense that sitting at 2689 underwrites consortia and credit share. At the moment, the restricted consortia. And being able to access a whole bunch of syndicates that, again, are fully owned and aligned, owned by somebody else, but actually we're able to provide capital to them is a great asset for us at Hamden. It enables us to back, for example, Inigo through 2689 rather than being on it directly. So that is, a, I think, a big source of growth for the market potentially. The size of it, I don't know, 20%, 25%, some sort of level like that it could easily turn into. If one looks at other types of investment, passive capital is quite a big part of yeah, you know tracker markets. funds. We've all got yeah. tracker funds. Easier. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we would say it's not a tracker fund, <laughs> but being passively backing businesses is selecting them and then labelling them to go and underwrite. Far more actively managed than passive. Yeah, it is definitely actively managed. We've got a great underwriter that came in, Chris Sharp, who we're really pleased with how he's developing that business. And getting access to these syndicates. So we would expect that to broaden. It gives our clients access to syndicates that they can go elsewhere and then is enabling us to provide capital to, again, to that point of we can provide capital through multiple different routes, whichever suits so any, any which way you want it. Yeah. There's a Hamden way of getting well, some capital. That's, that's what we want to be able to do. Yeah. Well, it's been really, really interesting talking to you, it just shows you can go in with an idea of what a member's agent is and say this is some kind of, you know, fusty old sort of loidy thing. And it's not at all. Of course, you've got so many wheels spinning, different initiatives. Sounds like you, you must be incredibly busy. So thanks very much for sparing some time. Not at all. No, it's very nice to speak. I wish, and I, I wish you all the best with everything that you're doing. And also, I, of course, I do aspire to become a client one day, but I'm, I'm not, I don't fear that I might not get We'd to be your vetting procedure. That my net assets might not quite get yeah, oh, I'm sure threshold. this podcast is extremely successful. <laughs> well, like, do you, would you take the podcast as collateral? <laughs> well, yeah, I think, you're, you're, yes, the expression on your face is, uh, has, 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 has given me all the answers that I need. Thank you so much, Alistair. I really enjoyed talking to you. And we'll get you back on the show when you've got something new to report. Great. Thanks very much. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, don't forget to subscribe or leave a like or a review or recommendation on whatever podcast platform you used to access this program. These really help get the word out. Before we go, just a quick reminder that advertising slots are available here and in other places in the Voice of Insurance podcasts. Podcasting is the fastest growing medium and attracts a high quality audience of key decision makers. It's also an intimate medium where you, the listener, are right in the room with me and the interview subjects. Needless to say, that means it's a great way of getting your message out directly to an audience because you know you've got their full attention. It's also very cost effective. So get in touch with Mark at thevoiceofinsurance.com to find out how you could be speaking directly to the industry. The Voice of Insurance podcast is produced in association with Advantage Go, enabling enterprise-scale underwriting through a single pane of glass. Voice of Insurance is produced by me, Mark Gagan. Music was written by Anna Gagan and produced by Carlos Gagan. Check out more podcasts and written comment pieces at www.thevoiceofinsurance.com. <laughs>